Hello, and welcome to What the Health. I'm your host, Julie Rovner, Chief Washington Correspondent at Kaiser Health News. I'm joined by some of the best and smartest health reporters in Washington. We're here to bring you the latest in news about health policy from the White House, Capitol Hill, federal agencies, and the states. And wow, what a week. We're taping today at 11.45 a.m. Friday, July 28th. As with all news in Washington, things can change fast and things might have changed by the time you hear this, but hopefully not this week. Today we are joined by Joanne Kennan of Politico. Thanks for having me, Julie. Sarah Cliff of Vox. Only place I'd be this early in the morning. (laughs) And we're happy to welcome this week my colleague here at Kaiser Health News, Mary Agnes Carey. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So it appears the zombie health bill is dead again for now, which is not to say it won't reemerge at some point. But in case you hadn't heard or didn't stay up into the wee hours watching C-SPAN 2 like we all did, the Senate last night failed to advance a last-ditch, stripped-down health bill that would have changed only a few pieces of the Affordable Care Act. After realizing they couldn't pass any of their more comprehensive proposals, Senate Republican leaders hoped they could cobble together something, anything, that would at least get them into negotiations with the House. But it was not to be. Arizona Republican Senator John McCain, who surprisingly returned after his brain cancer diagnosis, and voted to launch the debate, then turned around and basically ended it, joining holdouts Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska in denying Republicans the 50 votes they needed. So let's try to reconstruct the week a little bit, shall we? When we left off last week, the bill looked pretty dead. How did it temporarily come back to life? Joanne? Oh, it looked really dead. It didn't look pretty dead. I mean, McConnell, I think, thought it was dead, which is probably why he looked so grim last night or early this morning, because he he sort of did snatch this victory. He did. McCain came back. They um, twisted some arms, some of the undecideds. I mean, McConnell's pitch to them was, I'm not asking you to vote for final passage. Right now, I'm just asking you to vote to get it to the floor so we can debate it, an amendment, and you can change it, and we can discuss it, but get it to the floor. Otherwise, we're leaving Obamacare intact. And he squeaked through with that message, including with McCain's dramatic, but not as dramatic because later, uh, his appearance is welcome back to Washington. And and uh, I guess one of the most amazing things that happened in that, that first vote, which feels so long ago now. It was nine weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was 72 hours. Was Ron Johnson, who we didn't expect to be really a holdout, who was standing there in, you know, in front of everyone, got in the public talking to, to McConnell. And basically, we could tell from the body language, threatening to vote no. I yeah, mean, I think a lot of senators have had their moment in the sun with this particular bill where they wanted to raise concerns. Sometimes the concerns have been more clear than others. But it really was a fraught process from the start. Um, you know, I think last night, all of us are least I can speak for myself, we figured, um, you know, if we got the vote, if we got the votes to debate it, the votes to at least pass it or the votes to start the passage around midnight last night would have succeeded. But there are a lot of a number of senators who got cold feet at the last minute who, you know, were never enthusiastic about this particular bill, the um, Health Care Freedom Act or skinny bill, it is, as it has been called. Um, one of the bizarre dynamics that began to develop was senators were saying, we will only vote for this bill if the House promises not to pass it, which, I mean, Julie, you've been covering this, I think, longer than any of the rest of us at our table. I have never seen a chamber condition their approval on the other House not approving it. Um, but it seemed 
crazy? And it turns out it was a little too crazy that they could not pass a bill they did not want the other chamber to pass. Although they came really close. Came very close. <laughs> so before we get to the skinny bill, and we will discuss the skinny bill, let's talk about the thing, the other things that were on the table. Remind us, Mac, that we had this, we had the, first we had the the, the BICRA, the, 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 the right. repeal and replace they'd been working on. And then we saw the reemergence of the, the repeal and the delay clean, bill. clean repeal and delay. That also went down. All sorts of, I think there was a repeal of the Cadillac tax that was in there. There was a single payer vote that most of the Democrats stayed away from yesterday. It was just an amazing day of twists and turns. And when you talk about Ron Johnson, Julie and I were watching this yesterday with some of our colleagues, that amazing press conference about 5.15 with McCain, Ron Johnson, Lindsey Graham, and I think Bill Cassidy came later, basically saying, Speaker Ryan, will you promise us that you'll have a conference, a real conference? Otherwise, we're not going to vote for this. Ryan put out his statement. For three folks, it was enough. John McCain said it wasn't. It was just an amazing, to Sarah's point, this idea, we'll pass this piece of legislation as long as you promise it doesn't become law. Yeah, we can't kill it because we'll get in trouble. So can you kill it for us? Yeah, <laughs> is basically right. what happened. And then McCain killed it. And then, you know, some of the people who voted for it, like you know, Dean Heller, <laughs> he's got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, well, it's right. funny because Dean Heller was the one who said that he wasn't going to vote for anything that would basically take away the Medicaid expansion. And that was based on basically the marching orders of his governor, Brian Sandoval, who had been very strong about this. And uh, and yet that in the end, that's not what he did. John McCain said the same thing. He was going to take orders from his governor. And Arizona is also a state that expanded Medicaid. And in the end, you know, sort of as it was getting later, I kept looking, you know, what has what has Governor Ducey, the governor of Arizona, said? And you could you could parse the governor's statement any way you want. So it was very hard to tell. I mean, you know, McCain, the, the master of drama, kind of strung it out until the last minute. I think he told reporters as he was going in that, you know, stay, the t- show. Yeah, stay tuned for the show. So that was amazing. But before we get too far, let's talk a little bit about what was in that skinny bill. The, the, yeah. uh, so with, with the I should say the unfortunate acronym of HICFA, because that's the former name of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid it Services. Um, so this bill had a very short life and death, introduced around 10 p.m. on Thursday, voted down around 1.30 a.m. on Friday. We got inklings throughout the week of what would be in it. It would focus on an individual mandate repeal, reports that it might repeal the medical device tax. It turns out it it repealed it for three years, defunded Planned Parenthood for one year. Um, But this is a bill we just did not have much time with. Um, It had a very short, like I said, lifespan of about three and a half hours. And it is a bill that CBO estimated would cause 16 million Americans to lose coverage. A lot of that as a result of getting rid of the individual mandate. CBO expects that the individual market would see people quit. Um, Premiums would rise by 20 percent as healthy people exit the market. Sicker people stick around. Um, They also expect, which is something that always surprises me in the reports on the individual mandate, that Medicaid enrollment would decline as well as Americans got the message hey, you don't need to purchase coverage. There's no law in America saying you have to have health insurance. CBO at least expects that that would cause a few million fewer people to sign up for Medicaid as well. So that was the bill on the table. And one of the kind of interesting things to watch was both Democrats and Republicans agreed this was bad policy. Um, They agreed that this would be bad for the individual market. Um, Lindsey Graham in that press conference we talked about, you know, he said something along the lines of, well, we know this bill would be a policy disaster. He used the phrase policy disaster, then made the case they have to pass it to continue the debate. But it, it was not like Republicans were offering this defense of here's why this is a good bill and this is good policy. 
everyone agreed if that became law, it would be a very bad situation. And actually, I think I finally figured out the answer to the Medicaid question about why CBO says people would lose Medicaid. And it's something that that I wrote about when they first passed the Affordable Care Act. It's called the welcome mat effect, where people go to sign up for individual coverage and discover, oh, I'm actually eligible for Medicaid. And they're supposed to be put into Medicaid, which most of them are. So um, Joan Halker of Georgetown, who's one of the, the Medicaid gurus, has, has dubbed this impact the unwelcome mat effect, which is that people who think they have to buy individual insurance go to buy it, discover they're eligible for Medicaid. If they don't think they have to go buy it in the first place, they'll never discover that they're eligible for Medicaid. So it isn't that people would lose Medicaid. It's that 7 million they people... tumble into it. Right. Yeah. 7 million people who otherwise <laughs> would have gotten on won't. That's you the answer to the Medicaid mystery. I had that I had that mystery as no, that, well. That's actually really interesting. But I also think that as we call this the skinny bill or you know the a, yeah. a bill that was modest, it, it's not. You yes. take away the insurance the, the mandate for insurance, which is the linchpin in many ways. Nobody's ever come up as you know as as inadequate as this particular mandate has been. It's it, it's still a linchpin of the market. It is still a mechanism that gets people to buy insurance who might not otherwise have bought insurance. And if you take away the mandate, as, as Sarah said, there's people understand it's bad policy. The markets do, do start falling apart. So even though people say it's skinny, it's not skinny. Yeah. It's skinnier, and but it's also gone. So. <laughs> so, so, Mac, why did McConnell proceed with this when he didn't know he had the votes? I mean, they kept saying he could have could have basically pulled it even after he got it on if, if he you know if he thought this wasn't going to happen. Um, and yet he he pursued to the very end. Was this a was this a show me the body vote where he had to prove that they couldn't do it? No, I think yes, he definitely had to check the box that they had the vote on it. And secondly, sometimes. When you put that bill on the floor, you put pressure on folks to flip their votes and go the way you want. But here we're talking about, and we talk about John McCain. Let's not forget about Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who you mentioned in your intro. Those ladies paved the way for this. They held firm. They got pressured from the White House, Murkowski in particular. So I think that he just wanted to push it. But as we know, Mike Pence was lobbying John McCain. But this is John McCain. The guy is not going to cave. He's not going to uh, fold easily. And I think that McConnell just thought, you know what? It's time. It's over. My God, it's like almost two o'clock in the morning. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let, we know they want to move on to tax reform. They came out with proposals, principles on that yesterday. And uh, they want to move on to other things. But let's not forget, we were talking about this earlier, just because it's off the calendar now doesn't mean it may not come back at some other point. Because another th- calculation that McConnell had, I mean, the whole process has been kick it, kick it ahead another step. So you know, kick it to the floor. You know, you can get it to the floor, you can amend it, you can change it, you can vote against it. And this one was kick it to the House, get it to conference. Another dynamic, though, was, you know, that we reported last week is he was also thinking that if it failed and he McConnell and and lawmakers who voted against it went home and got a lot of flack from the conservatives that they would be willing to come back and talk. Given these three senators... Um, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and John McCain, that dynamic is not going to happen. I think he was thinking last week if it was you know, Sally Capito from West Virginia, Rob Portman, Jeff Flake, some of the other names that were sort of on the bubble of whether they would vote for it or not, they might have felt more pressure. So that was one reason he went away. He, he kept pushing for this vote, but I don't see either of these three senators, any of these three senators going home and having second thoughts. And I don't want to gloss over this Lisa Murkowski thing because that She's was tough. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. 
<laughs> this has been a weird week, a crazy week. As I, I've said in a number of interviews, I've been doing this 30 years. I've never seen a week like this. Um, but the, the the Secretary of the Interior basically threatened Lisa Murkowski. Um, but it felt like they were threatening the wrong person. I think one of, you know, the, the reasons Murkowski has been able to stand so strong on this and Collins, you know, to another extent, is these are not the type of Republican senators who, you know, rely on the National Party infrastructure, who need help fundraising, who need help with main, with name recognition. In Alaska, like, remember, Murkowski won a re-election bid with, with a write-in. Um, she lost, on a lost her primary. She lost her primary. And then with a, you know, not easy to spell last name, still won her Senate seat. Um, Collins is an institution in Maine. These are not, like Joanne was saying, I think that was a great observation. These are not senators who, you know, like Dean Heller, for example, new senator, you know, trying to show who he is, you know, trying to work very closely with his governor. These are independent senators. And it was kind of seemed like a massive miscalculation for the Trump administration to call up Lisa Murkowski and say, like, you know, watch out, like we might retaliate against Alaska when she is determining a lot of the budgetary, um, uh, like she is overseeing this particular agency's yeah. budget. She's um, the chairman of both the Appropriations Subcommittee and the Authorizing Committee right. that controls it the was an budget. Odd arm twisting move of one of the arms that we just knew was not going to be twisted. I'm going to twist your arm because you control my budget. So if I twist it in retaliation, what? I mean, <laughs> it just... It just didn't make any sense. Well, let, let's play a, a quick hypothetical, which is what if this bill actually had gotten to conference, if John McCain had decided he was going to vote for it and, and Mike Pence had broken the tie? This was never the plan. The plan was for the Senate to pass something and the House to pass basically whatever the Senate passed, which is, of course, what all those all those senators were worried about yesterday. Um conference? House conservatives would have rejected it right out of the bat. We knew that from Mark Meadows and other conservatives. They said this thing's dead on arrival. So it would have just uh, absolutely landed with a thud. It wasn't uh, broad enough for many conservatives in the House. And of course, if you went with the House bill, which included the Medicaid cuts, not in the, the, skin, the Senate skinny bill that didn't pass, I mean, it just would have been a mess. And the really mess. bizarre thing is if, hypothetically, the House had taken the Senate bill and then they had to send it back to the Senate for final passage, it wouldn't. The Senate would have then <laughs> killed its own bill. It, this this thing was doomed. I don't know. I could have seen it. So I will take a contrarian opinion. I could have seen it squeaking through as like the lowest common denominator. I could, you know... This is an unpredictable debate. A lot right. of things, you know, have knock on the way I have thought they would. But I could see a case um, where an argument was made, you know, this is the least we can do and we need to do something. You know, Obamacare is collapsing and we need to just find what we can agree on and send that. I, I think that is the approach Trump was pushing. One of the things I thought was interesting in this repeal bill that kind of gave me that thought and the one we've called skinny repeal is that it did have some sweeteners for conservatives. There's a one-year defunding of Planned Parenthood. There's these state waivers. Um, these are provisions that have been struck out by the parliamentarian. They, you know, did the work of redrafting them to try and please the parliamentarian. So I don't know. I, I kind of think back to the sequester in 2013, where you had this policy that was meant, um, this across-the-board budget cut that was meant to be like the um, stick that would get right, um, and was, legislators and to they were, pass they were, budget. They were cutting half from defense and half from domestic right. to make both sides Really right. hate and the idea was everyone said, well, it'll never become policy. It's just a forcing mechanism. And then it did become policy. So my kind of takeaway from that is that if you keep something in the debate, it, it remains an option 
on the table. And who knows what happens to it at that point? Well, to your point, too, the whole idea of getting rid of the mandates is a bedrock for conservatives. Mm -hmm. So that might have been the House conservatives might have gone on that basis alone. This is we'll get the government out of telling you you have to have it and what has to be covered. So it might have been a winner in that respect. Yeah, it might have been. But it, it, it would have been pretty hard for the Senate to say we're, we're holding our noses and we're only voting for this in the interest of getting it to the House. And we were expecting the House to change it. And then I mean, Sarah's right. Every We've all been surprised <laughs> by things. Every one of us have been surprised multiple times. And would they have taken it? We'll never know. I, 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 because there are all sorts of other ways you could get at Obamacare, which is why all of us are not going to be any less tired next week than we are this week. Maybe a little bit. Oh, but Joanne, you're killing me. I mean, next, I don't think it'll be next week. But, you know, there's the things that the administration can do. The administration can do big damaging things. They can do little erosion things. They're and already doing they're both. They're already doing right? that. And, and so... You know, how, how that plays out, exactly what they do and when they do it, you could also do things to stabilize it. So, so if, if, if the administration does things that really damage Obamacare, politicians, the voters aren't really going to understand who did what. They're just going to say, oh, it imploded. Good. If that's what they want. Or if there is some kind of stabilization, which is something that we can't see happening tomorrow, but it is something that there are some discussions about, you know, then Republicans can say, we, see, we fixed it. And they, you know, it's no longer Obamacare. We, we made it better, whatever. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple, multiple, multiple paths this could go with, with and each path has several sub paths. So none of us are ever going to be unemployed. <laughs> I, I, I got to say for next time what, what happens next, but I want to go around the table before we end uh, with just one question. Uh, you know, what are the chances that any of you think that this comes back to life this calendar year, Mac? I think it very well could. It still is a priority. Republicans ran on this in several elections. They've talked about it incessantly. And we have to remember when the House started debating this at the end of March, and then Paul Ryan went to the White House, and they had to pull it from the floor at that time. Paul Ryan said, for the foreseeable future, Obamacare is the law of the land. They came back two months later and passed something. So it's not over. It also depends on whether they get their act together on taxes, because right now they don't. Once they move on to taxes, this reconciliation budget framework that they're working on health reform is that ceases to exist once there's another reconciliation budget for taxes. Um, they don't have, you know, so it partly depends. They don't want to, if, if they don't have their act together on taxes, they don't really want to draw a ton of attention to that. So you may still see some health care things happening. And then there's also health care through the appropriations process. There's health care legislation that could put on other bills, such as the Children's Health Insurance Program that has to be renewed in September. There, there are other ways that we, we will be seeing health, whether it is in this form or another form. Obamacare does not suddenly become something that Congress ignores and forgets about tomorrow morning. Sarah. <laughs> Anything is possible. That's all I've got. It's Congress, right? It's Congress. I mean, none of us thought we would be here uh, in the end of July yes. talking about repeal going down. We thought we'd be here in January talking no. about. For the record, I July. thought that if they were going to do it, they were going to do it this week, right up against the August recess. This is the weekend, right. the week I always thought they were going to do it. What's your prediction? Uh, my prediction. Yeah. I I think I'm kind of with Joanne here. I think it comes back, but probably not in this form. Um, but, but again, we wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, Julia, exactly. I'd be surprised if it, you know if it came back tomorrow. Nothing surprises. 
surprises us anymore. Right. Nothing surprises us anymore. All right. We're going to wrap things up with the segment we call Extra Credit. That's where each of us recommends a story they read recently they think everyone else should read too. Don't worry if you miss it. We will post the links to these pieces on the Kaiser Health News site, khn.org. Sarah, let's start with you. What's your extra credit assignment this week? So my story is called The Company Behind Many Surprise Emergency Room Bills. Um, It's from The New York Times. And among its authors is our podcast gal pal, Margot Singer-Katz, who is blissfully on vacation at this moment. It is a really great story with some really rich data visualizations about this company, MCARE, that has been taking over hospital emergency rooms. And they've really been systematically charging more while not taking insurance, which leaves even patients with insurance with high and unexpected bills. If you've ever gotten a bizarre emergency room bill, which many of us have, I'm sure this story will be one you should not miss. Joanne. I really liked a story by your colleague, Julianne Mary Agnes, your colleague, Phil Gallowitz. He wrote a story about how um, the husband of Seema Vermer, who runs Medicare, Medicaid, and much of the health law, uh, he is a child psychiatrist who won't take Medicaid. Mac. I'm also going to give a shout out for a KHN story. Julie Appleby wrote a really interesting piece on what happens when states have tried versions of the skinny repeal that the Senate looked at. Bottom line was it didn't go well. The premiums rise. Insurers leave the market. And consumers who buy their own coverage end up with fewer choices and higher prices. And that was in liberal states that wanted it to work. That's that right. Was like in Washington State and New York State, places yeah. like that. Very cautionary tale. Um, finally, here's mine. It's called When Promises for Tomorrow Become Failures Yesterday. It's by Tom Miller from the American Enterprise Institute. It's sort of a, a postmortem from the conservative point of view of what just went down. And I recommend it, if for nothing else, for pure entertainment purposes because it's really well written. Um, so that is it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. We'd also appreciate it if you left a review. Here's a scheduling note. We will be back in your feed early next week with a more comprehensive look at where we go from here and other health issues looming in Washington. If you have comments, you can email us at whatthehealth, all one word, at kff.org, or you can tweet me. I'm at Jay Rovner. At Sarah Cliff. At Joanne Kinnon. At Mary Agnes Carey. We'll be back in your feed soon. In the meantime, be healthy.